Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight, I will be reading two adaptations of Shakespeare plays by Edith Nesbitt. Romeo and Juliet and Much Ado About Nothing. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Romeo and Juliet Once upon a time there lived in Verona two great families named Montague and Capulet. They were both rich, and I suppose they were as sensible in most things as other rich people. But in one thing, they were extremely silly. 
There was an old, old quarrel between the two families, and instead of making it up like reasonable folks, they made a sort of pet of their quarrel and would not let it die out, so that a Montague wouldn't speak to a Capulet if he met one in the street, nor a Capulet to a Montague. For if they did speak, it was to say rude and unpleasant things, which often ended in a fight. And their relations and servants were just as foolish, so that street fights and duels and uncomfortablenesses of that kind were always growing out of the Montague and Capulet quarrel. Now Lord Capulet, the head of that family, gave a party. A grand supper and a dance. And he was so hospitable that he said anyone might come to it except, of course, the Montagues. But there was one young Montague named Romeo, who very much wanted to be there, because Rosaline, the lady he loved, had been asked. This lady had never been at all kind to him, and he had no reason to love her. But the fact was that he wanted to love somebody, and as he hadn't seen the right lady, he was obliged to love the wrong one. So to the Capulet's grand party he came, with his friends Mercutio and Benvolio. Old Capulet welcomed him and his two friends very kindly, and young Romeo moved about among the crowd of courtly folk, dressed in their velvets and satins, the men with jeweled sword hilts and collars, and the ladies with brilliant gems on breast and arms, and stones of price set in their bright girdles. Romeo was in his best too, and though he wore a black mask over his eyes and nose, everyone could see by his mouth and his hair and the way he held his head that he was twelve times handsomer than anyone else in the room. Presently, amid the dancers, he saw a lady so beautiful and so lovable that from that moment he never again gave one thought to that Rosaline, whom he had thought he loved. And he looked at this other fair lady as she moved in the dance, in her white satin and pearls, and all the world seemed vain and worthless to him compared with her. And he was saying this, or something like it, when Tybalt, Lady Capulet's nephew, hearing his voice, knew him to be Romeo. Tybalt, being very angry, went at once to his uncle and told him how Montague had come uninvited to the feast. But old Capulet was too fine a gentleman to be discourteous to any man under his own roof, and he bade Tybalt be quiet. But this young man only waited for a chance to quarrel with Romeo. In the meantime, Romeo made his way to the fair lady, and told her in sweet words that he loved her and kissed her. Just then, her mother sent for her, and then Romeo found out that the lady on whom he had set his heart's hopes was Juliet, the daughter of Lord Capulet, his sworn foe. So he went away, sorrowing indeed, but loving her nonetheless. Then Juliet said to her nurse, Who is that gentleman that would not dance? His name is Romeo, and a Montague, the only son of your great enemy, answered the nurse. Then Juliet went to her room and looked out of her window over the beautiful green-gray garden where the moon was shining. And Romeo was hidden in that garden among the trees because he could not bear to go 
right away without trying to see her again. So she, not knowing him to be there, spoke her secret thought aloud and told the quiet garden how she loved Romeo. And Romeo heard, was glad beyond measure. Hidden below, he looked up and saw her fair face in the moonlight, framed in the blossoming creepers that grew round her window. And as he looked and listened, he felt as though he'd been carried away in a dream and sat down by some magician in that beautiful and enchanted garden. Ah, why are you called Romeo, said Juliet. Since I love you, what does it matter what you're called? Call me but love, and I'll be new baptized. Henceforth, I never will be Romeo, he cried, stepping into the full white moonlight from the shade of the cypresses and oleanders that had hidden him. She was frightened at first, when she saw that it was Romeo himself and no stranger, she too was glad. And he, standing in the garden below, and she, leaning from the window, they spoke long together, each one trying to find the sweetest words in the world to make that pleasant talk that lovers use. And the tale of all they said, and the sweet music their voices made together, is all set down in a golden book, where you may read it for yourselves some day. And the time passed so quickly, as it does for folk who love each other and are together. But when the time came to part, it seemed as though they had met but a moment, and indeed they hardly knew how to part. I will send you tomorrow, said Juliet. And so at last, with lingering and longing, they said goodbye. Juliet went into her room, and a dark curtain hid her bright window. Romeo went away through the still and dewy garden like a man in a dream. The next morning, very early, Romeo went to Friar Lawrence, a priest, and telling him all the story, begged him to marry him to Juliet without delay. And this, after some talk, the priest consented to do. So when Juliet sent her old nurse to Romeo that day to know what he proposed to do, the old woman took back a message that all was well, and all things ready for the marriage of Juliet and Romeo on the next morning. The young lovers were afraid to ask their parents' consent to their marriage, as young people should do, because of this foolish old quarrel between the Capulets and the Montagues. And Friar Lawrence was willing to help the young lovers secretly, because he thought that when they were once married, their parents might soon be told, and that the match might put a happy end to the old quarrel. So the next morning, early, Romeo and Juliet were married at Friar Lawrence's cell and parted with tears and kisses. And Romeo promised to come into the garden that evening and the nurse got ready a rope ladder to let down from the window so that Romeo could climb up and talk to his dear wife quietly and alone. But that very day a dreadful thing happened. Tybalt, the young man who had been so vexed at Romeo's going to the Capulet's feast, met him and his two friends, Mercutio and Benvolio, in the street, called Romeo a villain, and asked him to fight. Romeo had no wish to fight with Juliet's cousin, but Mercutio drew his sword, and he and Tybalt fought, and Mercutio was killed. When Romeo saw that his friend was dead, he forgot everything except anger at the man who had killed him, and he and Tybalt fought until Tybalt fell dead. 
So, on the very day of his wedding, Romeo killed his dearer Juliet's cousin and was sentenced to be banished. Poor Juliet and her young husband met that night indeed. He climbed the rope ladder among the flowers and found her window, but their meeting was a sad one, and they parted with bitter tears and hearts heavy, because they could not know when they should meet again. Now Juliet's father, who of course had no idea that she was married, wished her to wed a gentleman named Paris, and was so angry when she refused that she hurried away to ask Friar Lawrence what she should do. He advised her to pretend to consent, and then he said, I will give you a draft that will make you seem to be dead for two days, and then when they take you to church, it will be to bury you and not to marry you. They will put you in the vault, thinking you are dead, and before you wake up, Romeo and I will be there to take care of you. Will you do this, or are you afraid? I will do it. Talk not to me of fear, said Juliet. And she went home and told her father she would marry Paris. If she had spoken out and told her father the truth, well, then this would have been a different story. Lord Capulet was very much pleased to get his own way, and set about inviting his friends and getting the wedding feast ready. Everyone stayed up all night, for there was a great deal to do and very little time to do it in. Lord Capulet was anxious to get Juliet married because he saw she was very unhappy. Of course, she was really fretting about her husband Romeo, but her father thought she was grieving for the death of her cousin, and he thought marriage would give her something else to think about. Early in the morning, the nurse came to call Juliet and to dress her for her wedding, but she would not wake, and at last the nurse cried out suddenly, Alas, help, my lady's dead. Oh, well a day that I ever was born. Lady Capulet came running in, and then Lord Capulet, and Lord Paris, the bridegroom. There lay Juliet cold and white and lifeless, and all their weeping could not wake her. So it was a burying that day, instead of a marrying. Meantime, Friar Lawrence had sent a messenger to Mantua with a letter to Romeo, telling him of all these things, and all would have been well, only the messenger was delayed and could not go. But ill news travels fast. Romeo's servant, who knew the secret of the marriage, but not of Juliet's pretended death, heard of her funeral and hurried to Mantua to tell Romeo how his young wife was dead and lying in the grave. Is it so? cried Romeo, heartbroken. Then I will lie by Juliet's side tonight. And he bought himself a poison and went straight back to Verona. He hastened to the tomb where Juliet was lying. It was not a grave, but a vault. He broke down the door and was just going down the stone steps that led to the vault where all the dead Capulets lay when he heard a voice behind him calling him to stop. It was the Count Paris who was to have married Juliet that very day. How dare you come here and disturb the dead bodies of the Capulets, you vile Montague, cried Paris. Poor Romeo, half mad with sorrow, yet tried to answer gently. You were told, said Paris, that if you return to Verona you must die. I must indeed, said Romeo. I came here for nothing else. Good, gentle youth, leave me. Oh, go, before I do you any harm. I love you better than myself. Go, leave me here. 
Then Paris said, I defy you and I arrest you as a villain. And Romeo, in his anger and despair, drew his sword. They fought and Paris was killed. As Romeo's sword pierced him, Paris cried, Oh, I am slain. If thou be merciful, open the tomb and lay me with Juliet. And Romeo said, In faith, I will. And he carried the dead man into the tomb and laid him by dear Juliet's side. And he kneeled by Juliet and spoke to her and held her in his arms and kissed her cold lips, believing that she was dead. While all the while she was coming nearer and nearer to the time of her awakening. Then he drank the poison and died beside his sweetheart and wife. Now came Friar Lawrence when it was too late and saw all that had happened. And then poor Juliet woke out of her sleep to find her husband and her friend both dead beside her. The noise of the fight had brought other folks to the place too, and Friar Lawrence, hearing them, ran away, and Juliet was left alone. She saw the cup that had held the poison, and knew how all had happened, and since no poison was left for her, she drew her Romeo's dagger and thrust it through her heart. And so, falling with her head on her Romeo's breast, she died. And here ends the story of these faithful and most unhappy lovers. And when the old folks knew from Friar Lawrence of all that had befallen, they sorrowed exceedingly, and now, seeing all the mischief their wicked quarrel had wrought, they were imprinted, and over the bodies of their dead children, they clasped hands at last, in friendship and forgiveness. Much Ado About Nothing In Sicily is a town called Messina, which is the scene of a curious storm in a teacup that raged several hundred years ago. It began with sunshine. Don Pedro, Prince of Aragon in Spain, had gained so complete a victory over his foes that the very land whence they came is forgotten. Feeling happy and playful after the fatigues of war, Don Pedro came for a holiday to Messina, and in his suite were his stepbrother, Don John, and two young Italian lords, Benedict and Claudio. Benedict was a merry chatterbox who had determined to live a bachelor. Claudio, on the other hand, no sooner arrived at Messina than he fell in love with Hero, the daughter of Leonato, governor of Messina. One July day, a perfumer called Baraccio was burning dried lavender in a musty room in Leonato's house when the sound of conversation floated through the open window. Give me your candid opinion of Hero, Claudio asked, and Baraccio settled himself for comfortable listening. Too short and brown for praise, was Benedict's reply, but alter her colour or height and you spoil her. In my eyes, she is the sweetest of women, said Claudio. Not in mine, retorted Benedict, and I have no need for glasses. She's like the last day of December compared with the first of May, if you set her beside her cousin. Unfortunately, the Lady Beatrice is a fury. Beatrice was Leonato's niece. She amused herself by saying witty and severe things about Benedict who called her Dear Lady Disdain, 
She was wont to say that she was born under a dancing star and could not therefore be dull. Claudio and Benedict were still talking when Dodd Pedro came up and said good-humouredly, Well, gentlemen, what's the secret? I am longing, answered Benedict, for your grace to command me to tell. I charge you then on your allegiance to tell me, said Don Pedro, falling in with his humour. I can be as dumb as a mute, apologised Benedict to Claudio, but his grace commands my speech. To Don Pedro he said, Claudio is in love with Hero, Leonardo's short daughter. Don Pedro was pleased, for he had married Hero and was fond of Claudio. When Benedict had departed, he said to Claudio, Be steadfast in your love for Hero, and it will help you to win her. Tonight, her father gives a masquerade, and I will pretend I am Claudio, and tell her how Claudio loves her. And if she be pleased, I will go to her father and ask his consent to your union. Most men like to do their own wooing. But if you fall in love with the governor's only daughter, you are fortunate if you can trust a prince to plead for you. Claudio then was fortunate, but he was unfortunate as well, for he had an enemy who was outwardly a friend. This enemy was Don Pedro's stepbrother, Don John, who was jealous of Claudio because Don Pedro preferred him to Don John. It was Don John that Baraccio came with the interesting conversation which he had overheard. I will have some fun at that masquerade myself, said Don John, when Baraccio ceased speaking. On the night of the masquerade, Don Pedro, masked and pretending he was Claudio, asked Hero if he might walk with her. They moved away together, and Don John went up to Claudio and said, Signor Benedict, I believe. The same, fibbed Claudio. I should be much obliged, then, said Don John, if you would use your influence with my brother to cure him of his love for Hero. She is beneath him in rank. How do you know he loves her? inquired Claudio. I heard him swear this affection, was the reply, and Baraccio chimed in with, so did I. Claudio was then left to himself, and his thought was that his prince had betrayed him. Farewell, Hero, he muttered. I was a fool to trust to an agent. Meanwhile, Beatrice and Benedict, who was masked, were having a brisk exchange of opinions. Did Benedict ever make you laugh? asked she. Who is Benedict? he inquired. A prince's jester, replied Beatrice, and she spoke so sharply that I would not marry her, he declared afterwards, if her estate were the Garden of Eden. But the principal speaker at the masquerade was neither Beatrice nor Benedict. It was Don Pedro, who carried out his plan to the letter and brought the light back to Claudio's face in a twinkling by appearing before him with Leonato and Hero and saying, Claudio, when would you like to go to church? Tomorrow, was the prompt answer. Time goes on crutches till I marry Hero. Give her a week, my dear son, said Leonato and Claudio's heart thumped with joy. And now, said the amiable Don Pedro, we must find a wife for Signor Benedict. It is a task for Hercules. I will help you, said Leonato, if I have to sit up ten nights. Then Hero spoke. 
I will do what I can, my lord, to find a good husband for Beatrice. Thus, with happy laughter, entered the masquerade which had given Claudio a lesson for nothing. Caraccio cheered up Don John by laying a plan before him, with which he was confident he could persuade both Claudio and Don Pedro that Hero was a fickle girl who had two strings to her bow. Don John agreed to this plan of hate. Don Pedro, on the other hand, had devised a cunning plan of love. If, he said to Leonardo, we pretend, when Beatrice is near enough to overhear us, that Benedict is pining for her love, she will pity him, see his good qualities, and love him. And if, when Benedict thinks we don't know he is listening, we say how sad it is that the beautiful Beatrice should be in love with a heartless scoffer like Benedict, he will certainly be on his knees before her in a week or less. So one day, when Benedict was reading in a summer house, Claudio sat down outside it with Leonato and said, Your daughter told me something about a letter she wrote. Letter? exclaimed Leonato. She will get up twenty times in the night and write goodness knows what. But once he repeated and saw the words Benedict and Beatrice on the sheet, and then Beatrice tore it up. Hero told me, said Claudio, that she cried, O sweet Benedict. Benedict was touched to the core by this improbable story, which he was vain enough to believe. She is fair and good, he said to himself. I must not seem proud. I feel that I love her. People will laugh, of course, but their paper bullets will do me no harm. At this moment, Beatrice came into the summer house and said, Against my will, I have come to tell you that dinner is ready. Fair Beatrice, I thank you, said Benedict. I took no more pains to come than you take pains to thank me, was the rejoinder, intended to freeze him. But it did not freeze him, it warmed him. The meaning he squeezed out of her rude speech was that she was delighted to come to him. Hero, who had undertaken the task of melting the heart of Beatrice, took no trouble to seek an occasion. She simply said to her maid, Margaret, one day, Run into the parlour and whisper to Beatrice that Ursula and I are talking about her in the orchard. Having said this, she felt as sure that Beatrice would overhear what was meant for her ears, as if she had made an appointment with her cousin. In the orchard was a boar, screened from the sun by honeysuckles, and Beatrice entered it a few minutes after Margaret had gone on her errand. But you are sure, asked Ursula, who was one of Hero's attendants, that Benedict loves Beatrice so devotedly? So say the prince, am I betrothed, replied Hero, and they wished me to tell her, but I said no, let Benedict get over it. Why did you say that? Because Beatrice is unbearably proud. Her eyes sparkle with disdain and scorn. She's too conceited to love. I should not like to see her making game of poor Benedict's love. I would rather see Benedict waste away like a covered fire. I don't agree with you, said Ursula. I think your cousin is too clear-sighted not to see the merits of Benedict. He is the one man in Italy, except Claudio, said Hero. The talkers then left the orchard and Beatrice, excited and tender, stepped out of the summer house, saying to herself, Poor dear Benedict, be true to me, 
and your love shall tame this wild heart of mine. We now return to the plan of hate. The night before the day fixed for Claudio's wedding, Don John entered a room in which Don Pedro and Claudio were conversing, and asked Claudio if he intended to be married tomorrow. You know he does, said Don Pedro. He may know differently, said Don John. When he is seen, what I will show him if he will follow me. They followed him into the garden, and they saw a lady leaning out of Hero's window, talking love to Baratio. Claudio thought the lady was Hero and said, I will shame her for it tomorrow. Don Pedro thought she was Hero too. She was not Hero. She was Margaret. Don John chuckled noiselessly when Claudio and Don Pedro quitted the garden. He gave Baraccio a purse containing a thousand ducats. The money made Baraccio feel very happy, and when he was walking in the street with his friend Conrad, he boasted of his wealth and the giver and told what he had done. A watchman overheard them and thought that a man who had been paid a thousand ducats for villainy was worth taking in charge. He therefore arrested Baraccio and Conrad, who spent the rest of the night in prison. Before noon of the next day, half the aristocrats in Messina were at the church. Hero thought it was her wedding day, and she was there in her wedding dress, no cloud on her pretty face or in her frank and shining eyes. The priest was Friar Francis. Turning to Claudio, he said, You come hither, my lord, to marry this lady? No, contradicted Claudio. Leonardo thought he was quibbling over grammar. You should have said, Friar, said he. You come to be married to her. Friar Francis turned to Hero. Lady, he said, you come hither to be married to this count? I do, replied Hero. If either of you know any impediment to this marriage, I charge you to utter it, said the friar. Do you know of any, Hero? asked Claudio. None, said she. Know you of any count? demanded the friar. I dare reply for him, none, said Leonato. Claudio exclaimed bitterly, Oh, what will not men dare say? Father, he continued, will you give me your daughter? As freely, replied Leonato, as God gave her to me. And what can I give you? asked Claudio, which is worthy of this gift. Nothing, said Don Pedro, unless you give the gift back to the giver. Sweet prince, you teach me, said Claudio. There, Leonato, take her back. These brutal words were followed by others which flew from Claudio, Don Pedro, and Don John. The church seemed no longer sacred. Hero took her own part as long as she could, then she swooned. All her persecutors left the church except her father, who was befooled by the accusations against her and cried, Hence from her, let her die. But Friar Francis saw Hero blameless with his clear eyes that probed the soul. She's innocent, he said. A thousand signs have told me so. Hero revived under his kind gaze. Her father, flurried and angry, knew not what to think, and the friar said, They have left her as one dead with shame. Let us pretend that she is dead until the truth is declared and slander turns to remorse. The friar advises well, said Benedict. Then Hero was led away into a retreat, and Beatrice and Benedict remained alone in the church. Benedict knew she had been weeping bitterly and long. 
Surely, I do believe your fair cousin is wronged, he said. She still wept. Is it not strange, asked Benedict, gently, that I love nothing in the world as well as you? It were as possible for me to say I loved nothing as well as you, said Beatrice, but I do not say it. I am sorry for my cousin. Tell me what to do for her, said Benedict. Kill Claudio. Not for the wide world, said Benedict. Your refusal kills me, said Beatrice. Farewell. Enough. I will challenge him, cried Benedict. During this scene, Baraccio and Conrad were in prison. There they were examined by a constable called Dogbury. The watchman gave evidence to the effect that Baraccio had said that he had received a thousand ducats for conspiring against Hero. Leonardo was not present at this examination, but he was nevertheless now thoroughly convinced of Hero's innocence. He played the part of the bereaved father very well, and when Don Pedro and Claudio called on him in a friendly way, he said to the Italian, You have slandered my child to death, and I challenge you to combat. I cannot fight an old man, said Claudio. You could kill a girl, sneered Leonato, and Claudio crimsoned. Hot words grew from hot words, and both Don Pedro and Claudio were feeling scorched when Leonato left the room and Benedict entered. The old man, said Claudio, was like to have snapped my nose off. You are a villain, said Benedict shortly. Fight me when and with what weapon you please, or I call you a coward. Claudio was astounded but said, I'll meet you. Nobody shall say I can't carve a calf's head. Benedict smiled, and as it was time for Don Pedro to receive officials, the prince sat down in a chair of state and prepared his mind for justice. The door soon opened to admit Dogbury and his prisoners. What offence, said Don Pedro, are these men charged with? Baraccio thought the moment a happy one for making a clean breast of it. He laid the whole blame on Don John, who had disappeared. The lady hero being dead, he said, I desire nothing but the reward of a murderer. Claudio heard with anguish and deep repentance. Upon the re-entrance of Leonardo, he said to him, This man makes clear your daughter's innocence. Choose your revenge. Leonardo, said Don Pedro humbly, I am ready for any penance you may impose. I ask you both, then, said Leonardo, to proclaim my daughter's innocence and to honour her tomb by singing her praise before it. As for you, Claudio, I have this to say. My brother has a daughter, so like Hero that she might be a copy of her. Marry her, and my vengeful feelings die. Noble sir, said Claudio, I am yours. Claudio then went to his room and composed a solemn song. Going to the church with Don Pedro and his attendants, he sang it before the monument of Leonardo's family. When he had ended, he said, Good night, Hero. Yearly will I do this. He then gravely, as became a gentleman whose heart was Hero's, made ready to marry a girl whom he did not love. He was told to meet her in Leonardo's house and was faithful to his appointment. He was shown into a room where Antonio, Leonardo's brother, and several masked ladies entered after him. Friar Francis, Leonardo, and Benedict were present. Antonio led one of the ladies towards Claudio. Sweet, said the young man. Let me see your face. 
swear first to marry her, said Leonato. Give me your hand, said Claudio, to the lady. Before this holy friar, I swear to marry you, if you will be my wife. Alive I was your wife, said the lady, as she drew off her mask. Another hero, exclaimed Claudio. Hero died, explained Leonato, only while slander lived. The friar was then going to marry the reconciled pair, but Benedict interrupted him with, Softly, friar, which of these ladies is Beatrice? Hereat Beatrice unmasked, and Benedict said, You love me, don't you? Only moderately, was the reply. Do you love me? Moderately, answered Benedict. I was told you were well nigh dead for me, remarked Beatrice. I was told the same of you said Benedict. Here's your own hand in evidence of your love, said Claudio, producing a feeble sonnet which Benedict had written to his sweetheart. And here, said Hero, is a tribute to Benedict, which I picked out of the pocket of Beatrice. A miracle, exclaimed Benedict. Our hands are against our hearts. Come, I will marry you, Beatrice. You shall be my husband to save your life, was the rejoinder. Benedict kissed her on the mouth and the friar married them after he had married Claudio and Hero. How is Benedict the married man? asked Don Pedro. Too happy to be made unhappy, replied Benedict. Crack what jokes you will. As for you, Claudio, I had hoped to run you through the body, but as you are now my kinsman, live whole and love my cousin. My cudgel was in love with you, Benedict, until today, said Claudio. But come, come, let's dance, said Benedict. And dance they did. Not even the news of the capture of Don John was able to stop the flying feet of the happy lovers. For revenge is not sweet against an evil man who has failed to do harm. Good night. <laughs>